Hello and welcome to Insight Out. My name is Billy Samoa Salibi and I'm your host. Through interviews and case studies, I examine how transformational insights have helped propel the lives and careers of exceptionally successful people. These major breakthrough moments teach valuable lessons that will help us in business and in life. Today's guest is Michelle McGee, a personal mentor of mine. Michelle is a veteran marketing and management executive with over 25 years of experience in the B2B and B2C space. She's helped scale six different businesses in six different industries and is currently working as a consultant with startups, executives, and entrepreneurs. On the show, we learn how a stool is a great metaphor for business. What she means when she says one of her greatest insights is falling in love with now. And... What is the surprising question she asks entrepreneurs to find out if they're setting themselves up for success? We'll also learn the importance of asking for help, what tactical tips she has for women in leadership roles, and what is the one thing that is most important for a startup to succeed. This show is full of insights like these and others, so let's get into it and start the conversation with Michelle McGee in another episode of Inside Out. I am absolutely so excited to have the opportunity to have one of my mentors on the show. Michelle McGee is absolutely extraordinary person. She is one of the first people that I spoke to when I made my transition over to Solar City, and she has an incredible background. She's been in B2B and B2C space dynamic leader in multiple fields, broadcast, mortgage, solar, insurance, retail, and I'm sure there's more. And the common thread that I see throughout Michelle's career is that she's got a knack for building high-performance teams. And I know that's played a critical role in her ability to scale over six companies. And now in her new role as a consultant, working with entrepreneurs and marketing and sales executives, in startups as a consultant, she's going to continue to build on that experience and have more insights. And so I'd like to say welcome to Insight Out, Michelle. Billy, you're making me blush over here. I am just thrilled to be chatting with you this morning. It's been way too long. It has been. And I'm thrilled to have this chance to pick your brain and, and learn what you've learned throughout your career, because there's so many insights that I know have bubbled up and become aha moments for you. But let's start with your story. For those that don't know you, give us a background of Michelle McGee. What Tell us your story. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a 35-year-long career story, so I'll try to keep it really short. But I have had the, the great opportunity to hold C-level positions in six different startups that were in six different industries. And so... I had a fantastic ride in just working with teams that were starting by building chairs in a conference room and then getting all the way to the point where they were maybe being acquired or merging with other organizations. I also had the chance along the way to hold senior positions in leadership at Solar City and at CBS Broadcasting. And so I feel like I've had this really great rounded out experience between small business and big business and all of the fantastic opportunities that come with both. And your track record is absolutely incredible because not only did you work at these companies that are household names, 
but you yourself made a name for yourself at each company you've worked at because you're so dynamic. You're such a, uh, the, the type of leader that listens, that doesn't just act and, and ask questions later, but you're also know that urgency matters and you do need to get things done quickly. And so you do have high expectations of those that work for you. I know this firsthand because I had the good fortune of reporting to you and you were very specific about what you wanted, but you also gave me the freedom to make sure that, that I had the ability to, to achieve what you, you set out the, set the target for me. And you gave me the wind in my sails to make sure that I, I had everything I needed from a resource allocation standpoint to get it done. So for that, I'm extremely grateful. You played a, a critical role in my own career. And so let's, let's dive in on the insight front. You know, we all have insights throughout our careers and that we have these moments that act as pivot points or realization moments where we, something hits us like a ton of bricks and all of a sudden we realize, wait, this is the way this works. Curious, what insights stand out to you in your career that have been monumental and important? Yeah, great question, Billy. I think for me, I have learned how to get comfortable being out of my comfort zone. You know, people ask me all the time, how do you make a transition from broadcasting to mortgage, to insurance, to solar, to retail, to shoe manufacturing? You know, there's a lot of diversity there. And what I think I figured out is that that thing that intimidates you is only scary because you haven't done it yet. And so having the courage to just put yourself in a situation where you don't know the answers, having the willingness to ask other people for help has served me really well and allowed me to grow my skill set and my career over all of these years in some pretty cool ways. Secondly, I think I've learned the value of doing what you say you're going to do. And I've come across a lot of really successful people who have made careers just simply by being able to create a reputation where others could rely upon them. So I always really tried to be that person that if I said something was going to happen, you could depend on me to make sure that it did. I've also, I guess, lastly, learned the value of fun in what we do every day. I think back about my younger self and wow, was I incredibly intense. And I think it's the, <laughs> <laughs> we all. Yeah. And while I look at that younger version of myself and I'm so grateful to her for having the drive and willingness to, to work really, really hard. I have also learned that having fun along the way allows you to have a much longer and more sustainable role in organizations, you know, when you don't feel like you're curing cancer every day. Yeah, no, I think all great points. Let's kind of peel back the onion a bit. One thing that struck me as you spoke was a very vivid memory I have of a conversation that you and I had very early on when I started. And that was one of the things you shared with me is report bad news quickly and, and that you, you don't want to surprise when there's something going sort of the wrong direction. And it sort of dawned on me as you talked about do what you say you're going to do and it's all expectations. So talk to me a little bit about that, you know, one about reporting bad news quickly, but then secondly about the expectations piece, what do you think it is 
that makes that such a critical piece of your success, but also what of what you expect out of the people that you work with? Yeah, I really truly believe there is a solution for every problem. And the pain that an organization or a person is going to go through in getting to that solution is just lengthened by the lack of help that they have to address it. And so with team members in my organizations, I really tried to make it safe for people to bring problems to me. And I sort of looked at my role as as being the person that helped them overcome the obstacles that they couldn't overcome themselves. And the faster we were able to kind of lock arms and, and move forward on a challenge, the faster we were able to get through it. And frankly, the smaller the problem generally was. So I found that really effective and really important in building trusting relationships with the people that I got to work with. Yeah. And I know that you've worked with some incredibly dynamic people, not only those that you surround yourself with by building the, the teams that you've built, but also those that even you've reported to. And, and some of them have incredibly high expectations. And what you just said is that every problem has a solution. It's just a matter of what resources we can allocate and, and what's needed to solve that problem, which I think is incredibly important thing to have as a leader and especially as a leader that focuses on building and scaling businesses. In your current role, you've met and you've worked with a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of people that have just grandiose visions, that, that have visions that some would say is impossible. How do you handle a situation where somebody has a vision that most people would say is impossible, but yet you yourself have this belief that most anything can get done and, and the, the leaders also have that vision. How do you make sure that others share that type of vision? Yeah. Someone shared an analogy with me many, many years ago. And Billy, I think about this all the time when those big audacious goals are sat have been set in front of me. And the analogy went like this. If I ask you, Billy, to fly to the moon tomorrow, you would look at me as if I was absolutely insane. But if I said to you, oh, and by the way, Billy, here's your ticket on the rocket ship that leaves at 9 a.m. tomorrow morning, in that moment, all of a sudden, what seemed impossible becomes incredibly possible. And so my job, I felt like in working with those really ambitious, big goal sorts of leaders was to help them see what the rocket ship looked like that was going to enable us to get there. And so no challenge was ever too big, but I had to say, well, I can do that. But in order to do it, I need to hire 100 more people, and that's going to cost X. <laughs> and we're going to have to build this sort of infrastructure and so on and so forth. And then the, the challenge is back to the leader to say, yes, I want this goal enough to provide those resources to actually get us there. Yeah, no, I love that analogy. And you've shared that with me in the past and it, it stuck with me as well. So whoever you heard that from can feel good about the impact that they're having on you and me and I'm sure countless other folks. So Michelle, you, right now your, your, your focus is you, you work with entrepreneurs, you work with executives, you work as a startup consultant. And I know you've had the opportunity to observe and get to know a lot of incredible people and businesses. What are the common themes or qualities that you've found to be consistently present in those, in those startups or those individuals you're working with? Yeah. So the first thing I would say is honest communication is absolutely critical. 
It doesn't matter if you're on day one of your business and you're communicating with your first customer or your investors, or you're running a massive organization, honesty in your communication is absolutely important. And that's easy to do when things are good. It's a whole lot harder when you're facing challenging situations. I learned this lesson, I think most poignantly, when I was working as the chief marketing officer for a mortgage company, and we hit the mortgage meltdown in September of 2007. We had 600 employees at that time who were all very, very nervous about their jobs. People were starting to look at other opportunities and so on and so forth. And there was a whole lot of chatter in the hallways about what's going to happen with the company. And our leadership team made the decision to create something that we called the rumor mill. And basically, it allowed employees to post questions about anything anonymously, but publicly for the whole company's organization to see. And as a leadership team, we answered those in writing publicly for all employees to see. And the message was, don't ask the guy next to you who's also afraid and probably has misinformation, but ask us the tough questions and we promise to answer you. And as a result, that mortgage company survived. When 97% of the companies our size and shape failed during that meltdown. And I really have to say that I think a lot of that was keeping as much of our team intact as we could. And we did that by being honest with them. The power of transparency. It really is incredible what being open and honest and also willing to accept the feedback that you may not want to hear. So kudos to you and to the team that made that happen because it doesn't happen near enough. While we're on the subject of maybe things that don't happen, let's talk a little bit about some of the mistakes you've observed. As you've had your opportunity to observe and work closely with these these companies throughout your career, surely you've seen some mistakes made. What are those mistakes? If you could think of some common themes or pitfalls that exist when uh, observing these entrepreneurs or these companies. Yeah. So I think it's really important to always, and, and this is always said, Billy, but it's so true. You have to stay customer centric. And that is not something that just hangs in your mission statement on a wall somewhere, but it is something that has to be ingrained in the culture within the company. I really felt like that was something that Solar City did really, really well. There was distributed decision-making power and everyone had the right to make adjustments when it was important for the customer's experience to do so. When that doesn't happen, boy, the brand can be tarnished very quickly. Employees lose faith and and they're dealing with angry customers every day and nobody wants to do that. Your turnover starts to spike. It's just this real spiral that can happen in an organization when you lose sight of that. The other thing that I have seen is that when when people tend to start companies, they come into a bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, and, and humble, and, and feeling invincible. Sometimes when they start to find success, ego and greed can creep in. And, and those things are, again, cancerous to the culture of an organization. Great leaders, in my experience, always give the credit for success to the people on their team. And they take the blame when things go wrong. And as simple as that sounds, it's hard to do in practice, but it really, really matters. 
in building positive cultures. On the greed side, that kind of loops back to that customer-centric bit in that you just have to constantly reinvest the success that you're seeing within the business into your customer experience and ensuring that those folks stay great brand ambassadors for you. Absolutely agree. I think you you can't really put a, a number on on just how important that customer focus is in importance because it's it's everything. At the end of the day, without customers, no business thrives. And so having the decisions revolve around what is the impact or implications to our customers is going to be critical. As you think of the successes that you've seen, obviously Solar City, you just highlighted in the focus that was put on customers. If there was one thing, and you could just say there's just one thing that is most important for a startup to succeed, so a new company just getting off the ground, what's that one thing? Ooh, tough question. I think I have learned in coaching startups, particularly over these last three years, that they have to have relevant experience either in the industry that they're tackling or in starting and scaling startups within their past history. What I see a lot of times is really well-intentioned people who see a problem and they come up with a great you know, creative idea for tackling that problem, but they have absolutely no idea of the complexity of the industry that they're trying to go into. And so they very, you know, quickly are maybe able to gather up angel funding and support from friends and family and so on. And they start building a product before actually talking to a customer to see if they're solving a problem that a customer would be willing to pay to solve. You know, that's another big pitfall. Talk to your customer before you start building a product. Really, really important. And then they start to learn that, wow, okay, I've got this bright, shiny product. I don't know anything about distribution. I don't know anything about pricing strategy. I really haven't looked at competition in the space. I don't know how I'm going to fund it. There's just a whole lot of other things that creep in. So having that relevant experience either in the space that you're going to be working or to have started other companies in the past is really crucial. Okay, so I'm going to I'm going to add to my tough question. And so somebody listening to this show, let's say they started a business and it's not in the field that they know. They are that person who's so excited and eager to start something and and they went and started a business in an area that maybe they're not frankly qualified to start a business. What do they do? I mean, what, like what advice would you give them? Like they're already kind of knee deep in, in the midst of starting their company. Is there a way for them to succeed? I mean, surely there's gotta be something they can do. Yeah. What would you suggest? Build a team as fast as you can to fill your gaps. I like to use the analogy with businesses of a stool. And basically, there are four legs in the stool for every company, regardless of what industry they're in. It's sales, marketing, finance, and operations. You have to have knowledge in those four areas within your industry in order to succeed. The product is the seat of the stool, and it sits on all four of those legs. And if any of them are weak, the product suffers. And so if you're an entrepreneur that maybe came out of software development and you've got a great idea for an app and you're a fantastic coder and you can build that product, you also need to recognize that you're going to have to sell it. 
You're going to have to market it. You're going to have to operationalize the distribution of it, and you're going to have to finance it. So if you're not the person who has that skill set, either bring co-founders aboard and don't be greedy about the amount of equity that you keep for yourself. Be willing to share it with those early employees and or put together an advisory board of experts who are willing to donate their time in order to help you find your expertise in those areas. Such great advice. And there's two things that come to mind as you were speaking. One is I just had a conversation yesterday with a, a good friend who shared he's he's recently taken responsibility, a pretty prominent role at a company. And, and what he realized is this company was taking on a ton of debt as opposed to sharing some of the equity. And while that may sound like it could be a good idea. It basically was them being greedy and it has actually shot them in the foot. So I think you, you bring up that greed point again, which you really do need to be careful as you're starting a new business. Don't be afraid to bring some people in that have some knowledge and talent that could round out the areas that you have gaps. And sometimes that does mean sharing a piece of the pie. And I think greed can handicap you and it can actually put you in the negative place. So that's a really, really important point. And then the other point, of course, is just simply building a team or, or even an advisory board, if that makes sense for you and your company. When I think of the work that you're doing now, because it does fascinate me how you get to see like behind the curtain of all these companies. One of the things I think about is what does that initial meeting look like? You know, as you're interviewing somebody and they're deciding if they're going to hire you as a consultant, but you're also going to decide, are you going to want to spend your time working with this business? What are some of the questions that you ask? Because the legs of the stool and the, the seat of the stool, clearly that those are all important components of a business. I'm imagining you're asking questions that revolve around those, but what else in addition to those? And, and what does that look like? Yeah, good, Billy. So I actually use that stool analogy in my first conversation with any entrepreneur. And I run them through a series of questions that help me sort of diagnose where the weakness in the stool is at the moment. And then we put together a list of action items to help get that more balanced. And then we prioritize those. What do we need to pick off first? What's most crucial to our success in terms of filling one of those gaps? That's kind of step number one in that initial conversation in regard to the business. Now, for me personally, I have three rules about the projects that I work on today. One, they have to align with a purpose that resonates for me at this stage of my career. Mission is just really, really important. So I have the wonderful blessing of making that a criteria for the things I work on. Secondly, I have to be able to contribute in a really meaningful way. You know, I'm not an expert in everything. I'm pretty good at sales, marketing, and building positive cultures. So I focus my efforts in those areas. And then last but not least, I like to work with nice people. <laughs> And I don't work with those who aren't. <laughs> so Michelle, you know, you talked about culture and, and when and one of the first things you talked about being incredibly important is just having fun. And, and you, you cited that helps with sustainability and I couldn't agree more. I mean, let's face it. If you're not having fun, how long do you want to stay doing that? Right. And I can speak with great conviction that you know how to have a great time. You also work incredibly hard and your team does the same. And so, you know, I think back to kind of a trip we took to the Giants game with you and your leadership team. 
that's just one example of many, many examples. And I know you worked closely with the leadership team at Solar City to create a culture where people actually enjoyed coming to work. For the audience listening to this show, sometimes that gets tossed aside, right? There's money that has to be spent in a lot of cases, not in all cases, but a lot of cases, there's money that needs to be spent to help with those types of activities. What, what do you say to a startup or an entrepreneur or somebody that has a role within a company that has the ability to help create the kind of culture where people have fun, but they're also either afraid or worried that they're going to allocate resources or time or money to something that maybe others won't seem as as necessary. Yeah. One of my favorite projects at this point, Billy, is to work with senior leadership teams in nailing down their vision, mission, and value statements. In my career, those have not been just fancy words that somebody dreamt up and you never revisit. And if you remember at Solar City, we lived our mission every day. That doesn't happen by chance. And I talk about this with entrepreneurs all the time. If you allow your culture to develop organically, it'll end up likely somewhere you never intended. Culture needs to be choreographed. And so when I go through that exercise of vision, mission, values, creation with teams, we end those sessions by saying, okay, what's the action plan for ensuring that we are espousing those values, for example, every day? And so if, if you have a, a value in your statement that says we're going to have honest communication, well, great. We're going to have an all-hands meeting once a month, and the CEO is going to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly within that. So we literally pull out a calendar, and we say, if we're going to support fun in our culture, we're going to have you know, snack attack Thursdays every week, and we're going to invest in that. <laughs> you know, But you have to choreograph it, or I have seen it happen where your culture just ends up a conglomeration of the people who join the team with no real focus on what was important to the leadership team when you started out. You had me at snacks. I was, I was in. No, I mean, look, the, and I love, that's a great quote. Culture should be choreographed and, it, and it's true. And it, there's some thought that needs to go into it. One of the things that I appreciated about Solar City is there was a lot of employee resource groups, the largest of which was Women in Power, which was an organization dedicated to helping women leaders throughout the organization. And you you led that group. Curious what your learnings were from being a part of that organization. Yeah, huge learnings. First off, men have to be a part of those sorts of organizations. And so the first thing that I felt like we did maybe right in launching that group was that we made it not only comfortable but exciting for men to join Women in Power. And I was really surprised. Our very first meeting, we had 1,400 people show up to the first Incredible. meeting of Women in Power. And about 20% of those were men. And in talking with them about why they were interested in the organization, lots of them had, had grown up with single moms who'd worked really hard, or they had wives who were facing challenges in the workplace, and they wanted to be a part of the solution. So first off, it's really important to make it all-inclusive so that any programs that you developed are embraced by the whole organization. Secondly, networking and mentoring matter. 
And so one of the things that I think men do really, really well is they hang out together and they have those informal conversations where they learn about each other's ambitions and they have the ability to then support those ambitions. Women don't do as great a job at that. And so we worked hard to create events where women got to just hang out and get to know each other a little bit. On the flip side of that, we created a very formal mentoring system where we partnered senior women with junior women and taught them what a mentorship relationship should really look like. And we were able to track the results of those mentorship relationships, and it resulted in a significant number of promotions beyond what we had seen with women previously in the organization. I guess a more personal level, the thing that I learned in talking and working with many, many women in that organization was that sometimes women can suffer from a lack of confidence and it matters in the workplace. And so for whatever reason, men are really willing to take on new challenges, to maybe even oversell their skill sets. They're happy to talk about their accomplishments and their wins. And it's harder for women to do that. And so a lot of the coaching that we worked on was how do you own your wins? How do you talk about those in a way that isn't viewed as offensive, but you deserve? And how do you use your voice in a meeting? There are silly little things when you're sitting in a conference room, putting your chair on the highest setting actually matters so that you're eye to eye with the guys. It matters when you drop the tone of your voice. Men just don't hear higher pitches as well as they hear lower pitches. So lower the tone of your voice. There are very practical things that we tried to share to help develop more confidence within the women in the organization. I absolutely love that. Wow, that's that's fascinating. And I honestly didn't realize that was, you know, you shared some things I had no idea about. Let's talk about the confidence piece because this is a theme that I hear over and over and over again. We all know confidence matters. I don't think people really talk about enough just how important it is. If if I could teach one thing to my son more than any other, it's that he needs to be a confident human being. And and mind you, there is a strong there's a there is a very distinct difference between confidence and arrogance. And I think frankly speaking, a lot of men do become arrogant. And I, and I don't think many women become arrogant. And I'm speaking in general terms, of course, but I think that's a fascinating point. Confidence helps us in so many parts of our lives. It helps us in relationships. It helps us in work. Curious, have you always been a confident person? Is it something that you've developed? And it, it maybe share you know, any ways that you feel confidence has helped you in, in your career? Because I I've always thought of you as a very confident person, but of course, I haven't known you in your whole life. Oh, Billy, I'm just laughing behind the mic here. (laughs) This is honest. I still struggle with it. Absolutely, I do. And I don't know why. It's something that I have a conversation with myself about on a regular basis. I'm going to go off on a bit of a tangent here, but maybe it'll be helpful to somebody who's listening My all-time favorite recruitment question is, what are your top 10 successes in life? And I listen to those 10 for a lot of different reasons, and and I hear a lot of different clues about what that person's going to be like to work with when they answer. But one of the things that I, I really listen for is something early in life 
that that person experienced. And it generally comes when they're at like number eight, nine, or 10 of their list. And they'll say, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I was the first to learn the bluebird uh, you know, <laughs> pledge when I was five in my troop. I have found that people who have a, an experience very early in life that they can point to to say, I did a good job there, they become addicted to that idea of success and they see themselves as a successful person. And it doesn't matter what they go and do thereafter, they find a way to succeed at it because they they see themselves as just successful people. And so for the parents that might be listening, look for those moments with your little, little children where you can point to something and say, look what you did. That was so great. It'll matter. I promise you it'll matter as they continue to grow in their life. In terms of, you know, later in life, I have learned to look at things that others might consider failures in my life, and I have chosen to look at them as opportunities to build my confidence in that, hey, I'm still here and I'm still standing, so I overcame whatever it was. And that's another thing that I listened to in the answer to that interview question, is people who can see difficult situations in their life, but they now view them as successes and that builds confidence. Yeah. I mean, the, the formative years play a critical role. And I, I, it's so funny that you brought that question up because I now ask that question, thanks to you, every single interview. And it is so eye-opening. I'm grateful that I now have that question in my arsenal for no other reason than it gives you a glimpse into this person as a human being and the way they think and the way in which they recognize their own achievements in life. So thank you for uh, for sharing that. Michelle, before we kind of move away from the advice that you had, you know, or the experience that you had in women in power, one of the things I'm curious about, and you gave some of the some of those bits of, of advice that were super tactical. And I just wanted to see if you could expand on that specifically for women in either a leadership role or a professional looking to advance their career, what advice do you have for the women listening to this show right now that could learn from you and your experiences? One big one, Billy, is ask for what you want. I learned this when I was working in radio and I had two little kids at home and I, I was a top salesperson at a, at a radio station and a local sales manager position came open and I wasn't even asked about it. And I was so upset. I was really offended that I wasn't even asked about interest in the role. And I ended up going to the general manager of the station and expressing my frustration about that. And he looked at me very honestly and said, I didn't think you'd want it. You know, I know you're busy with your family and you're doing really well in your role. And I thought you were just sort of happy with your life the way it was. And I, I said, no, I, I want to grow. I want to move into management, so on and so forth. Well, flash forward less than six months later, I skipped the local sales manager role. I moved straight into a general sales manager role. And six months later was a station manager running a whole radio station. Amazing. That wouldn't have happened if I hadn't spoken up and said, no, this is what I want. Now I've learned over the years to also be open and ask for feedback if I haven't been considered for a promotion as and to ask why and for suggestions on a skill gap that I might be able to develop so that I can be considered moving forward. And that pays off in spades as well. 
Yeah, you, you never get what you don't ask for. And I couldn't agree more on the feedback piece. I think all too often we expect people are going to give us feedback unsolicited, but it's up to us as individuals to seek feedback and to be open, to be, be truly open to getting that feedback. I think that's absolutely critical. So Michelle, you, you talked a minute ago about some failures that you've had, not specifically that you've managed to help that build your confidence. Let's dive in, in in that front. And when you look back and reflect on your life, what's maybe the biggest or one of the biggest challenges that you've had? And then how did you overcome it? And how did it make you the person you are today? Gosh, there are so many, Billy. I think the one that pops to mind that could have been a real deterrent from the course that my life ended up taking was my very first business that I started. It was a tuxedo rental chain of stores. My husband and I bought our first two locations. I think I was 26 years old. And we ended up growing that business into five locations over six years. And it failed. It failed after six years of blood, sweat, and tears for a variety of reasons, most of which Men's Warehouse at the time went into the tuxedo business and undercut the whole industry's pricing, and we just couldn't compete. So I could have learned in that process to be very afraid of trying new things and that hard work doesn't pay off and uh, you know a host of other lessons that I could have interpreted in a negative way and maybe shied away from startups from there forward. Now, flash forward, and I've got six now under my belt, and I can tell you that it has been incredibly rewarding financially and otherwise (laughs) within those other businesses. And so what I now look at that tuxedo rental business as is my MBA in business. And I learned so much about people and process and finance management and so on and so forth that have really enabled me to do some of the cool things I've been able to do since. I had no idea. Like that is fascinating. And and wow, what an experience to spend six years of your life working on something. And then, you know, let's face it, it's a really a market condition that came and ate you up. You couldn't control that men's warehouse would become this juggernaut and Let's be honest here. How many standalone tuxedo outfits, uh, pardon the pun there, exist exist nowadays? It really is men's warehouse. And then maybe, I don't know. I don't know where else you would get a tuxedo. I, I know that I haven't got a tuxedo anywhere other than men's warehouse for most of my life. So you did nothing wrong. You, you built that business. It probably would stay successful, but much like a lot of things, time changes over time. There's going to be new things that come in, but you took the experience and that has helped you in all of the other businesses that you've played a critical role in, which I love that you took from it the positive and the and the learnings, not the negative, oh, we failed, therefore I'm going to tuck my tail between my legs and, and walk away. When you look at those that maybe have set examples for you and thinking of role models, who are the role models that you have found the most guidance from and that have set the examples that you strive to follow? I hesitate to give this answer, Billy, because I know there are probably people listening that maybe don't have this same gift, but I was born with fantastic parents. I have never, my dad is now 84 years old, and I have never in my life heard him tell a lie. (laughs) Just, uh, 
I, I can't say enough good things uh, about my folks. There were a whole lot of sort of idioms as I was growing up. I was taught from a very young age that I was born with a certain unique skill set and gifts and that I had a responsibility to use those gifts for the benefit of humanity. Nobody else has mine. They are special and they're here for a purpose. And so I've always felt this real sense of responsibility to use those as best I could for good things. My mom's favorite phrase was, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing well. And so <laughs> I, I slacking off on a project just has never been an option for me. If it's worth doing, I'm going to try to do it as best as I can. So there are a whole lot of lessons in our home as I was growing up that have, I think, really set the tone for me. Well, I'm happy to say that I, I share that good fortune. And I know that not everyone does. Having incredible parents is such a blessing, such a gift. And it's important that when you do have that opportunity to learn from the people that are closest to you early in life, it really does set you up for success. Speaking of being set up for success, we have a few more questions before we get into our lightning round. One of the things that I'm fascinated by is this notion of time and specifically time management. And so I'm curious as a person who has a lot on your plate, you always do, right? I think all of us high performers, we tend to overload our plate with things to do and projects to work on. And one of the things I'm fascinated by is how we manage ourselves. And I use that term specifically because time is, is what it is. Time exists. It's how we manage ourselves that allows us to maximize the time that we have. Can you think of any ways in which you manage yourself and therefore manage your time that have been effective for you? I sort of look at myself and I've learned over the years, I have different gears. And depending on what gear I'm in, there are different habits and rituals I have to employ to help me to sustain that gear. So when I'm in my highest gear and I'm running as fast as I possibly can, I have learned not to neglect the basics. And, and I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs out there who get caught in this trap. You fill your schedule up with meetings and you're busy, busy, busy. And the first thing for me that goes is food. <laughs> I, I don't eat. And if I don't eat, then I don't have the energy to exercise. And if I don't exercise, then I don't sleep. And if those three things come together, I spiral and I can't be productive. And so I, I can recognize those moments now where I'm in that gear. And I have to remind myself always to keep those three things intact no matter what. So when I talk to entrepreneurs, I often ask them, tell me about how you eat. <laughs> tell me how many hours of sleep a night do you get? And are you exercising? I, those three things have kept me sane when things can feel a little insane. Beyond that, when I'm maybe not in that highest gear, I really try to ensure that I am planning. So I think in spreadsheets at this point, that's what gives me comfort and helps me sleep at night is to know that I have a plan for no matter how big the project is on how I'm going to tackle it. And so as soon as I can get something on paper for me, that gives me the peace of mind I need to then just go and execute. I love it. You think in spreadsheets. I haven't heard it put that way, but it, it, you're right. I mean, it, it helps you gain a sense of comfort. And as you said, helps you sleep at night when you have some order and organization to the projects you're working on. I know from my own experience that when things get messy and sort of 
all over the place and disjointed, it becomes overwhelming and it becomes hard to manage. You know, you mentioned a few of the the, the habits and the rituals that you have specific to, you know, making sure you're well-nourished and eating and sleeping. What other habits or rituals or daily things do you do to help keep yourself on the, the type of pattern and, and have the type of consistency necessary to get done everything that you have on your plate? Yeah. So I've practiced yoga since I was 17. That's the staple for me. And what I get out of that is the, you know, the physical challenge and so on that I need from an exercise perspective. But it also keeps me, I think, much more centered. And it's that moment at the end of Shavasana. For me, I have a little ritual where inevitably a word pops into my mind at the end of that meditation. And whatever that word is in that moment has so much meaning for me. And it's a challenge for something that I need to work on in the coming few days. And so I've learned, you know, call it inspiration or intuition or whatever that is. That's a process for me that I can trust that the right thing will come to mind in that moment. Another sort of crazy one, I have a weird relationship with books. I can't count the number of times in my life where I've just gone into a bookstore and wandered the bookshelf and the right thing jumps off the shelf for me for something that I'm challenged with in that moment, which is maybe the tip of a bigger iceberg, which is, again, asking for help. Whether it's a book, whether it's my own subconscious, or actually reaching out to past colleagues and friends and so on for insights, asking for help is just something that I have learned is really important for me to accomplish what I need to. Yeah, I love that advice. And it's a common theme that I'm hearing over and over and over again. It's having the humility and it doesn't mean that you're not capable. It doesn't mean that you can't do it. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong. It just means that you need a little bit of help. So I have one last question before we move into our lightning round, which is what else might be valuable information to share with the audience listening to this show and and the audience being it's a professional looking to advance their career. It's a leader looking to really dominate their own ability to lead large groups of people, or it's an entrepreneur starting a business or looking to elevate their business to new heights. What's some advice that you'd give that we haven't yet talked about? Yeah, there's sort of two counter uh, concepts that I come to mind. First, be excited about the journey. I never could have predicted the twists and turns that my path has taken. I was talking to someone, in fact, just yesterday about this. My project right now that I'm working on that I'm the most excited about is in funding desalination systems in Africa. And I'm doing that with an organization called the Give Power Foundation. Give Power was actually born in a conversation 15 years ago over lunch. And I never could have predicted that, you know, the person I had that conversation with and I ended up starting four companies together. We went on to Solar City together. We started this foundation together. All of the ups and downs and in-betweens of that 15-year journey have now resulted in the ability to provide clean water to people who don't have it today. And waterborne disease is the number one killer on the planet. And we now have the opportunity to make an impact on that concept. So it's just be excited about the journey. And then conversely, 
fall in love with now. <laughs> no matter what, I have, I've learned this acutely. If I'm stressed out, it is inevitably about something that is not happening now. And if I can just be present for a moment and say, wow, okay, in this moment, I'm in an air-conditioned house. I'm having this fantastic conversation with my friend, Billy. You know, I have food in the fridge. I have clothes on my back. Life is fantastic. If you practice this, I think you'll constantly observe that those good things are always true. And when we get spun out, it's about something that happened in the past or could happen in the future. And frankly, that's a waste of energy, I've learned. So falling in love with now and being in it as much as possible can really bring great joy to your life. Well, thanks for adding even more to the Michelleisms, falling in love with now. I, I love that. I'm going to use that. And it's so important to be present, to be in the now. And you're right. Often the stress that exists, it's not because of what's happening now. It's because we're obsessing or worried about what may happen in the future. And if we do focus on the now and the present, it's amazing what we could accomplish. So with that, let's jump into the now of the lightning round. The lightning round puts you in a particular emotional state or a situation, and we just get your first gut reaction or response. And so the first question, let me ask you, are you ready for the lightning round, Michelle? I'm a little bit nervous. I have to confess. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Well, what excites you? Humanity. Awesome. I love that answer. What scares you? Climate disruption. Yeah, very much <laughs> ties in. What surprises you? The unpredictability of life. Interesting. Yeah, it's very true. Life uh, will throw you a curveball now and then. Michelle, if you feel comfortable sharing, when was the last time you cried and why? Yesterday, I got the chance to watch a new video about one of the Give Power projects. Gosh, and if I think about why I was crying, it wasn't about the problem. It was the fact that we have the ability to offer a solution. Well, I could tell you from my own personal account that this organization, Give Power, is truly incredible. It's changing lives in places where lives really do need to be changed. And honestly, it was one of the main motivations for me joining Solar City is knowing that Solar City had a relationship with Give Power. And that I could in some way, shape or form have a hand in helping these developing countries get the most basic essentials that we all take for granted or that most of us in this world take for granted. And so I absolutely applaud you and, and all the people involved with Give Power. And you know, I'll definitely put a link in the show notes to donate and to help this important and really incredible organization. Oh, thank you, Billy. Of course. I'm happy to do so. So let's talk about books. You, you mentioned a minute ago about books. What book have you recommended more than any other book and why? Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Oldie but goodie, but every single word in it is true, in my opinion. It is. It, I love that book. It was one of the first business books that I read, and now I'm addicted to business books. So it had a profound impact on me. And I think those that follow its principles have a lot more likelihood to achieve great things. So I'll also put a link to that in the in the show notes. So inspiration's important. You're an inspiration to me. And I know we we both have surrounded ourselves with tons of inspirational people. Who has been the most inspirational person in your life and why? Ah, that's the hardest one so far. <laughs> I know. Uh, you know, Hayes comes to mind. 
yeah, Hayes Barnard, who was that partner I just referred to actually, and was the chief revenue officer for Solar City, and now chairman of the board for Give Power and Loan Pal. We've grown up together, and I've learned so much from him. I just, I, I, I can't, I could, couldn't, couldn't be more grateful. He has a gift that is truly remarkable. He's one of the most inspirational, if not the most inspirational person I've ever gotten a chance to personally be around. The guy just has this electric energy that you can't, I've never experienced it in my life ever. And, and I've met some incredibly inspirational people. Hayes is absolutely off the charts when it comes to inspiration. So it doesn't surprise me. I got chills just, just talking about him. Fascinating human being has just a heart as big as this whole, you know, room that I'm in right now. And as you said, right, he's that's just a true inspiration. Yeah. Okay. So if you could spend one hour with anyone living or dead, who would it be and why? I actually know this one. It would be Oprah. Yeah. I just have so much respect for her as a black woman in the broadcast industry, having come from that and knowing what some of those challenges might've looked like for her, all the good that she's done it done. She just seems to have an unending well of compassion for others and has just obviously been such a phenomenal success with all of that in mind. So yeah. For sure. Yeah. And a plug for her podcast, Super Soul Sessions, which is absolutely extraordinary. She's, yeah, she, she is fantastic. I would absolutely put her very high on my list. I, I, haven't, I haven't even thought of my own answer to that question. Who knows? She may be there. She's amazing. So uh, yeah, that would be a great one hour session. I, I will have that conversation someday. I'm good. focused on it. Yep. Do it. That's a good life goal. Speaking of life, we often uh, have moments that could lead to regret. Curious if you have any regrets in life, and if so, what are they? None. Good answer. If you had the chance, what would you tell your 20-year-old self? Chill out. (laughs) (laughs) You have an amazing journey ahead, and everything that comes about will be valuable. Great advice. And I'm sure your 20-year-old self would not listen, but that's that's because you're the you're your 20-year-old self. Okay. We, this show is, is very much focused on the entrepreneur and the leader and, and the, the the individual looking to catapult their career to new heights. What advice would you give someone that's just starting out their journey as a professional or as an entrepreneur or a leader? Be humble and grateful. But you're gonna need a lot of help to achieve whatever lofty goals you've set. So Always be humble and grateful. Great advice. Uh, Speaking of great advice, who is your greatest mentor or mentors? And and what did you learn from them? Ooh, I've had a lot of them. I I think everyone that I've ever worked for has, I've been fortunate to, to call them a mentor. And I've learned from the things they've done what to do and just as valuably maybe what not to do in certain situations. I think we've covered a lot of those things in this podcast, Billy, but my answers today came from a lot of observation of people that I worked with. Yeah, no no doubt. You know, I'm going to take a a page out of your playbook and I'm not going to ask you for 10. I'm just going to ask you for one achievement that you're most proud of. My kids, they're young adults now, actually not so young. um, (laughs) And they both appreciate philanthropy and the value of volunteer work 
and are also building crazy successful careers. So they came away somehow knowing that you can do both. I love that. Well, Apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. And as we've already talked about on this show, speaking of what we've talked about, we've learned so much about you. I'm so grateful. What haven't we learned about Michelle McGee that may surprise the listeners that are listening to you on this show? I'm pretty much what you see is what you get. So I don't know if anything would surprise them. I'm really, really excited to be a grandma. I'm hoping that that happens sometime in the near future. If I missed anything along the way, Billy, it was maybe being as present as I wish I could have been with my kids. So I'm super excited to get a second swing at that and be a really great grandma. I love that. Well, Michelle, the last question that I have is really open-ended. It's, it's an opportunity to share anything that we missed, which is anything else that you want to share with the audience. Hats off to those entrepreneurs who are listening. Having the courage to say, I can do something that hasn't been done before, or I can do it better than anybody else is doing it today is hard. And, you know, my all-time favorite commercial, it was a bank, I think, and it showed a person on the edge of a cliff, and they just swan-dived off the edge of the cliff. And the verbiage, the text that came over the screen at that moment was, we salute the small business owner. And that can be what it feels like when you start a business. And so I just applaud everybody who might be listening who's had the courage to do that. Bravo. Well, great, great way to end. Michelle McGee, thank you so, so much. What a fantastic conversation. I've learned more than I even would have imagined because I've learned so much from you already. And man, so power packed with goodness. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you. I'm so grateful to have you in my life. Thank you for being on Inside Out. Thank you, Billy. Had a blast. Thank you for listening to this episode of Insight Out. I hope you enjoyed the show and I really hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in your career, in your business, or in your life. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate the show on your favorite podcast platform. This is extremely helpful and I can't tell you how much I would appreciate it. Also, if you haven't checked out our website yet, you can find us on the interweb at insightoutshow.com. On the site, you'll find tons of great content, including all of our podcast episodes, videos, blog posts, and the all-important link to support this show through Patreon. If you're not familiar with Patreon, it's an amazing platform that helps creators gain the support they need to continue creating. And remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out. (laughs) Ha 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 ha!